Hi, and you're very welcome to the League of Ireland podcast here on FinalWhistle.ie. My name is Brett Early, and joining me this week is Longford Town Captain Dean Zambra. Dean, you're very, very welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back again, Brett. Anything eventful happened in your life in the last two weeks? Because I asked you this two weeks ago, and you kind of very conveniently left out some pretty big personal news that night that I found out on Instagram about an hour after we recorded the show. Uh, so I'm going to ask you again and give you a chance to reprieve yourself. Any big news, Dean, in your life in the last couple of weeks? Well, uh, my girlfriend got engaged. Is that? Your girlfriend got engaged. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. She's been with that guy an awful long time. It's about yeah, time. Yeah. It took him a while. It took him a while. Uh, well, of course, uh, anyone who watches the show probably already knows, uh, but your girlfriend, of course, is none other than Stephanie Roach uh, of PMAT United and Republic of Ireland fame. Um, when I say girlfriend, she's not your girlfriend anymore. She's your fiancé. You'll probably get no, used yeah. to hearing that. Uh, but listen, Dean, congratulations on a personal level. Delighted for you. And uh, the very best look. I know she's out of hunting at wedding venues already. She doesn't waste much time that one. No, she's very prepared for some reason. Yeah, it's as if she's been on her mind for a while or something. But yeah, she's probably been waiting for that for a little while. But anyway, enough about the the personal lives and all of that sort of stuff of the of the rich and famous. Uh, well, famous anyway, at least. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, have a chat about uh, some of the football that's happened over the last week or so. You were busy uh, in Longford. Good results for yourselves up in Finn Harps. A bit of luck maybe from the referee. Uh, some contentious offside decisions. Uh, but it seemed to go uh, your way in the end, a, a point home back uh, down the road from Ballybuffet. A decent game? Yeah, I think it was a pretty good game. A um, couple of fans back in, obviously, as well. So I think it was quite entertaining. Um, we did get, a, I suppose, a little bit of luck. Uh, I was directly behind the referee and Eaton Boyle definitely headed the ball. So I was calling, you know, that I had come off a blue player and gone to Aaron Dobbs for the goal. Um, I think it did hit Aaron Robinson as well, you know, okay. because there was obviously a collision between the two. Uh, who hit it first, I don't know, but obviously Aaron Dobbs would still be offside regardless of, of who contacted it first if they both contacted it. But it didn't look as obvious. I think I've seen a clip going around on social media and everyone berating the referee and, and lashing him. And I can tell you on the pitch, within 10 or 15 yards of the incident, it wasn't easy to see who had come off. And it definitely had come off the Finn Harps player at one point. So I can see why they were caught in the in the decision of did it come off blue or did it come off red and go back. But like we said, I think we've been on the receiving end of a number of very soft decisions or poor decisions, as we would call it. So we probably deserved it a little bit. And later on in the game, there was an extremely soft penalty given against us as well. And and lucky enough, Lee Stacey saved it for a, a second week runner. Yeah, no, it's uh, he's making a habit out of saving penalties now, Lee. He's doing, he's doing uh, keeping his place in the squad because I know that was a bit up for grabs at, at certain points uh Mick Kelly came in, made a couple of appearances, did, kept a couple of clean sheets, and then all of a sudden there was Lee's back in again. So he must be enjoying life in the team at the moment. Yeah, Lee's been great for us, like I think, for three seasons now, you know. So um, you'd have to ask Darrell why he, he wanted to make a change, maybe just seeing something, or maybe he thought we weren't picking up results across the board. So he had to freshen up a couple of positions, but Lee's certainly taken that position back and, and made it his own. And Apart from the penalty saves, he's pulled off some some brilliant saves uh, other than that to keep us in a game. And I think in the position we're in, we're probably going to have to ride our luck a little bit and, and probably will end up giving away a couple of chances. But we need, you know, the likes of Lee or defenders or whoever it is to, to kind of keep us in the game at times so we can then challenge at the other end and potentially start picking up some three points rather than just draws. Yeah, of course, you mentioned the position you're in at the moment. Still bottom of the table. Um, Waterford still that couple of points ahead of you. They picked up a point against St. Pat's on Friday night. Um, how much of a, a kick in the gut is it to come off a pitch having got a point away to find out that the, the team you're chasing have also picked up a point and you haven't really gained them? Yeah, I think, I mean, for, for me personally, I don't I don't look at the other team's results or don't worry about them at all. I think I've confidence in our group that if we can play well and keep doing what we're doing and we're fighting and we're battling and we're scraping away and we just probably need to find a little bit more quality. So I'm more concerned about us. I don't really care what Waterford do. I know they're our nearest challengers and inevitably you kind of look to see what their results are, but that's just something that I've never done. And it's something that I'm trying to kind of preach throughout the group as well. Like don't be looking for Waterford straight away. Like let's just focus on ourselves. Why can't we win a handful of games? Why can't we push up the table? Not necessarily just, just, 
uh, to deal with Waterford. Maybe now closer to the end of the season, if it's still nip and tuck there, you might be kind of more inclined to be looking for the results right away because it'll be coming to the crunch time then of when the results mean either relegation, playoff spot, survival, whatever it might be. Yeah, of course, Alfie Lewis set off in that game very early for St. Pat's. They took the lead uh, in the first 10 minutes through Matty Smith. Alfie Lewis sent off. He's been great for them over the last few weeks. So a uh, huge loss for Stephen O'Donnell's men. And then it was uh, just before halftime, Shane Griffin, of course, a uh, well-established league ball campaigner, got the equaliser and they held out for that one-all draw with St. Pat's. Um, Stephen O'Donnell be disappointed with the results? Yeah, I think with the position they're in, they would have thought or hoped they could win that one and, and keep their, their little bit of momentum going um, at the top of the table. But... I think it just shows the balance of the league that like anyone can compete with anyone really. And I think Waterford have been very good since the new manager came in. They definitely look more organised. They look fitter and sharper. They look like they're working harder. So I don't think any result is a gimme, but just with Stephen's ambitions probably to win the title this year with the way the league is shaking out, I think he'd be probably a little bit disappointed that they didn't get three points. Yeah, of course. Uh... Dundalk in action against Derry City. Chris Shields' last game, there was a fairly impressive send-off for him after the game on the street outside uh, outside the Oriel Park. A phenomenal kind of thank you from the, the supporters who couldn't get into the ground uh, other than the 100 or so that you mentioned. 2-1 uh, victory in the game. They'll be delighted back up to win a ways. That's eight, seven points from nine now for Vinnie Perth since he's come back. Um, is it as simple as just that manager bounce and, and that kind of uh, stability maybe that Vinny brings back? Because there's been rumours about, I suppose, fallout with individual players, but we seem to see a kind of a, a stronger, more um, determined Dundalk. I suppose the only team who points off them since he came back was yourselves. Yeah, I think probably the stability is the main issue, um, that he seems to have picked most of his teams based off lads that have experience in League of Ireland and uh, some experienced campaigners there. We, we all questioned at the start of the season, like why were they bringing in kind of a lot of foreign players from different backgrounds? Why were they bringing, like letting lads go, experienced League of Ireland lads go? And what was the gel going to be? Like, can you integrate six, seven, eight new kind of foreign players that haven't played in the league for get them up to speed straight away? And it, I don't think it worked. And I think for Vinny, whether like some of them lads are good players and I'm sure Vinny thinks they are too, but he's probably just said, right, let me steady the ship and get guys I know and lads that know the league and let's just build a base and pick up results. And like you said, seven points from nine is a pretty decent start. And I think overall it's probably a false position they're in anyway. So I don't think it's too much of a surprise that they're, they're winning a couple of games now as well. Yeah, of course, only three points off the European spots if you include fourth, which has been traditionally a European spot uh, in recent seasons. Uh, officially, the goals, Daniel Kelly on 36 minutes, and then the second half, Patrick Hoban, 56 minutes before Owen Toll pulled one back for Derry on 59. That's the final score, 2-1 to Dundalk. Uh, another disappointing result. I think it's their first defeat for Roy Higgins in his managerial career away from the Brandywell. Uh, so they've been running all right as well over the last couple of weeks and months. Yeah, and probably similar to what we've been saying about Dundalk in that he, he just stabilised a little bit, um, picked lads that he relied on more so, and again, probably slightly false position that they were in, so it's not totally unexpected that they've they've improved and picked up results, but um, I think the whole nature of the league, probably from maybe the second and third team down to maybe the second and third bottom team, that, that group seems to be very evenly matched and within a couple of weeks, you could win a couple of games and be at the top of that group or lose a couple of games and be at the bottom of that group. Yeah, interesting times ahead. Shamrock Rovers and Drogheda, they played out a one-all draw in Tala. Um, I don't know which manager will be happier here. Graham Burke opened the scoring on 18 minutes and Chris Lyons, just after the hour mark, pulled one back for Drogheda. I suppose any time you come away from Tala at the moment in the last couple of seasons with any result is a good night for any team, particularly nearly promoted side like Drogheda. But... Um, Will Stephen Bradley be disappointed with the results of the end? Or are we looking at maybe somebody, I don't know, um, in, in terms of draw, that must be delighted coming out of that? Yeah, I think Tim would be happy enough with the point. Like you said, you go to the home of the champions and you get a point, you'd be pretty happy. Um, I think they were about 10 seconds away from getting a point at home earlier in the season in, in the game as well. So they're obviously playing against Rovers quite well. Um, but again, maybe similar to Stevie O'Donnell at Pat's, 
uh, Bradford would probably expect to win that game at home, being a team that's challenging for the title and the champions. But um, over the course of a season, you might look back at that and say, you know what, it's not a terrible point for, for either team. Very good for Drada. And then uh, Stephen might say, look, it, it wasn't the worst point in the world um, and keeps them on track, you know, top of the table. Arguably the biggest result, or at least the biggest talking point of the weekend, uh, was Sligo Rovers' 4 win over Bohemians. Bohemians had looked like they were back on track in recent weeks. It all kind of came asunder on uh, Saturday night in the showgrounds. Johnny Kenny, uh, not quite sure if he scored two or three. By my reckoning, I'm pretty sure uh, Rob Cornwall knocked that ball into the, the net for the second one. But uh, some outlets credit him with three goals. I think we're going to probably credit him with two. But uh, fairly... Fairly impressive performance, all the same from Sligo to to put four past bows. It's it's really looking like they're actual contenders now. They're top of the table, and uh, themselves Pats Rovers all on thirty five points, all uh, with the thirteen goal difference positive. Um, after at the halfway stage, it could be an absolutely cracking run in with three real title contenders here. Yeah, and I think you know it's a really open title race. You know, for the probably the first time in, in a long time, whereas we had that Cork. Um, Dundalk, you know, battle for a number of years, and then it seemed quite obvious from early on last season that Rovers were going to win it. So now you've got three, you've got three in the mix, and it's just a case of um, with European games coming up, how do you know the squads handle those situations, and you know who goes the furthest in European games, and that does does that put pressure on their on their league form then? But um, yeah, I think at this stage you have to consider all three of them legitimate title contenders, and especially for Sligo coming off that four 0 win against Bowes who we can have seen being real Jekyll and Hyde this season. like, But, um, you know, a, a 4-0 game, it probably was one of those that a couple of goals go in, just goes against you, and you kind of end up realising it's just not your night, really, for Bowes. I'm sure they'll bounce back uh, quite quickly. And it has to be said, though, I'm still looking at that league table. There is a big gap back to Bohemians in fourth place, eight points as it stands at the moment. But I still think it's not too late for any of those, maybe fourth to seventh place, really, to pull out a, a challenge to get into that top four spot because um, I think Shamrock Rovers and Pats have dropped points where you normally wouldn't expect them to drop points. 36 points from 18 games is not exactly impressive season. Like it's less than two points a game. It's yeah. not exactly something that should be like, yeah, we're having a phenomenal season. Um, I think the fact that Sligo can stay in touch despite having had a couple of poor results um, shows just how open this is. Yeah, exactly. And um, like we said, or like I just mentioned, with Dundalk and Cork used to pull away and Rovers pulled away last year. There's nobody really steamrolling the league like that. And people are dropping points against each other. Like we said, like we seen with Bowes beat Rovers just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, that kind of gave them a shot in the arm for maybe getting into that top four. And then straight away, we see Bowes losing then to Sligo. Yeah, we've seen Rovers stuttering a little bit, a couple of draws since since the return. Like so, yeah, it's re- it's really open. It probably makes it really exciting and uh, you know interesting for the fan bases. But maybe overall, we might look back and say it's not a phenomenal year for whoever is the league winner. Like it might not be a great league winner in the end. Um, nothing against whoever does win it in the end, obviously, but just. You know, maybe they're not hitting the heights of the the previous kind of five or six teams that won the league. I, I agree with you, but I think from a neutral's point of view, and maybe from a, a new recruit of fans to the league, since streaming kicked in, people have obviously had a chance to, to look at the league. I think it's great to have that kind of openness and that kind of uh, competition for the for the title. I think it's probably a, a benefit to the to the overall promotion of the league, uh, rather than having a, a Shamrock Rovers like last season, where they just tore away with it for the whole year. In terms of the first division, of course, then there was a full round of fixtures played as well. We might fly through those. Uh, we had Cove Ramblers and Wexford 3-2 to Cove at Lone Town and Bray Wanderers, a stalemate down in Lissy Wallen, uh, Shelburne and Cork City. 2-1 to Shells in Tottenham Park. Treaty United in Galway, a 1-0 victory for the Tribesmen down in Marksfield in Limerick, while UCD enjoyed a 2-1 win over Cabin Teeley. There's a couple of Jekyll and Hyde performances in the first division as well. Any team whether they're top of the table or bottom of the table, seem to be able to compete and beat any other team in the division on their night. Yeah, uh, that's been the first division, like I can tell you from experience the last couple of years with ourselves, even like you just don't know what to expect. Anyone can beat anyone any given day. Um, there's no real standouts apart from Shells, I think this year, who are just consistently kind of 
really powerful and, and they're just grinding their way through uh, at the top of the table. But everyone else, like there's such a huge mix. I think there's three teams on 22 points, is there now? And like we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, from probably second to second bottom, could all pl- end up playing in the playoffs. You know, halfway through a season, pretty much everyone's still in contention for a playoff place. So, yeah, every week you can see that, um, you know, that ups and downs between the performances and the teams. I think Galway have put a, get together a little bit of a run of form and they've kind of, you know, we were expecting big things from the start of the season with them being a full-time outfit. So um, I think now we're starting to see maybe the benefit of that. And and I think in the end, you'll see them, you'll definitely consolidate a playoff place going forward because uh, their form has definitely picked up. But across the board, um, yeah, it's just, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Every week, what you're going to get. It's, it makes for good entertainment again, though. Yeah, and I suppose to bring your own situation and Longford back into the, the equation here, you talk about playoff places, the likes of Galway, uh, Brayer in the hunt there as well, UCD, um, this uh, treaty have been impressive all year, and Shells, of course, Shells, I'm not going to call it yet, I'm not going to pull a Johnny Ward on it and call a, a league champion halfway through the season, but it looks like they are the absolute runaway favourites now. They have 11 points clear uh, with only 14 games to go. Um, it, it'll take some impressive results to beat them because I can't see them dropping points uh, across much of the league this year. They haven't been beaten yet. In the, the only team in the, in the League of Ireland yet not to experience a, a defeat in any game so far. They've come close on a couple of occasions. They've definitely left it late. But in terms of that, if we go back to where you are with Longford at the moment, you're chasing Waterford to avoid the automatic relegation spot. Um, your, your reward, if you manage to pull that off, is to face a playoff final against one of those top three or four sides in the first division. Um, there's been some impressive performances down there. Is that a worry in the back of your mind, or are you just will take that spot at the moment if we get it? Yeah, exactly. I think we just have to take care of our own business. And, you know, I've heard Ollie Horgan saying over the years, we'll take ninth right now before the season starts, kind of thing, or, or a similar message to that. Like, so. You know, from our point of view, we need to get ourselves out of there and you worry about the playoffs when that comes around or if it, it if it does come around. Um, and like, again, if you were if you were even thinking along those lines, who do you prepare for? Because it could be one of seven, eight. So you really don't know. And again, drawing on our own experience, we came fourth last year, you know, and probably weren't favoured to come up and we, we won all the playoff games and came up anyway. So even even if it was a case that you're looking at the playoffs now, you can't say second will be third or third will be fourth or fourth will be fifth. It, you, you just can't say. So, you know, from our from our point of view, we don't, we can't uh, look at it that way. We've got to look after Premier Division business. And if it comes down to playoff, then we think about that in November. Well, listen, one person who does have those playoffs on his mind is the Director of Football in UCD, uh, Jeremy McNally. And he's going to join us now to talk to us all about what that famous development nursery if you want to call it that, nursery is probably the wrong word. The lads are a little bit older when they get there, but it's been a huge developer of players for the league and beyond over the last number of decades. And Jeremy joins us now to have a chat about everything that's going on in Belfield at the moment. So we've talked on the show plenty of times about all the things that happen over in UCD, and it has this kind of special place within the league uh, in terms of being a really good developmental club for players within the league. It's produced so many league title winners. Unfortunately, uh, none for UCD themselves directly uh, in terms of Premier Division titles at least, but one of the people behind the brains behind the operation, or one of the brains behind the operation in Belfield is Jeremy McNally, and Macker joins us now. Jeremy, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Bradley. Thanks, Dean. Hey, um, I suppose we might as well start by, Jeremy, you're obviously sitting on the side of summer camps. It's part of the process up there. It's all about youth. It's all about development. And that starts right with the kids coming in. In terms of the club, tell us a bit about, I suppose, the ethos of the club, because it kind of ticks boxes that very few other clubs in the league manage to tick properly. Yeah, I suppose, Bradley, the the ethos is the club is uh, we're a university club uh, first and foremost so I suppose the ethos of the club is to provide football for as many students as possible at all levels possible uh, and in recently in recent years we probably it, that could be changed to not only students but now uh, school kids as well with the whole um, with the whole underage coming on board now the electricity league underage we have a 1917s 15s and under 14s team so we're providing football not only for students we also run the summer camps as well which kind of doubles up as a community project 
but also it's again it's getting the, the the name out there so it's a fairly big operation in in um in in the whole recruitment uh process but everything is tied in whether it's the summer camps whether it's the underage football whether it's all the different teams we have in the college we you know obviously we have a team in the electricity league first division which would be the elite level and we go right down Leinster senior league right down to the super league which will be uh, one of the lowest levels uh of football so that's pretty much uh the basis of the club where we're very much uh yes we are an elite club but we're also um a community club from the point of view of providing football for as many levels as, as possible. You hear these different schoolboy clubs where you'll have some elite ones and some more, you know, community-based ones. So we firmly believe we can we can do both. And it's all linked as well. Um, if, if all those aspects of the club have to be strong, ultimately the top of the pyramid is the first team. But if any of those other aspects of the club aren't functioning to the level, it has a knock-on effect. So it's important that all the different strands uh, kind of all, all link together. Hey, Dermot, uh, obviously UCD have a, a great reputation for that college age players and providing kind of the, the education as well as attracting the players. But uh, what kind of challenges would you have faced to attract the underage players now with, you know, there's obviously schoolboy pathways and, and like the likes of Shamrock Rovers, Bowles, Pats have their own schoolboy section. So what kind of challenges do you it's face trying players it's a great point dean um what since the underage expanded beyond under 19s when it was just under 19s and under 21s we were still a very we had a very strong uh recruitment tool in the fact that we had the university so we were recruiting players in that were going to university so we weren't really competing with the likes of shamrock rovers and, and pats because players at that point had made their mind up to go to college so if they were college bound they were going to come to us obviously it's a lot different when you're trying to recruit a 14 year old a 15 year old even a 12 year old now where college isn't really the uh college isn't really uh on on the radar so there's a big emphasis put on trying to trying to talk to the parents there and trying to educate the parents and not not just look at where they are at now. Obviously, the likes of Shamrock Rovers, Bohemians, Pats, fantastic clubs. Shamrock Rovers, one of the leading lights in academies, to be fair to them. But what we're trying to, we probably can't just take for granted that players are going to come to us because of the university angle at that age. We have to kind of talk to the parents and, and really try and educate them where potentially they will be in five or six years and um, the other thing is those other clubs have some excellent academies that age and we're not if it's best for those players to go to shaman grovers and pats particularly if they're based locally um we're happy with that we, we still link in with those players and if it's a case that the players at the shaman grovers academy from 13 to 17 or 18 they still have every equal opportunity to come in and scholarship with us yeah. so it's not that you come into UCD, you have to come into UCD under 14s, 15s, 17s and 19s to end up getting a scholarship. We're very much looking at uh, all those other players in all those Dublin-based academies, as well as the country-based players. Because obviously, we can't be bringing country-based players up from Sligo, from, uh, from uh, for example, Sligo and all of these places when they're when they're in underage. And we get a lot of players from Sligo. You look at the likes of Liam Carrigan, Paul Doyle and Jack Keeney, three of our probably best players at the moment, all came through the Sligo system. Yeah, so, but you're right. It's a it is a new challenge for us, uh, and it's difficult for us to attract the best players at that age group as you go younger. But we can still get them, uh, just as they're coming into college, if college is the route that they want to go. Jim, of course, you've been around the, the club a long time now. You're probably coming up on maybe two decades involvement, <laughs> if not longer. Um, what have you noticed over the, the period of time? Because I suppose. When you started, the only club that even looked below probably under underage and developing players was UCD. Now we see it an awful lot more across other clubs. Has it got more, um, I suppose, level playing field in terms of, of that kind of attracting players in? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's massive. As I said just there to Dane, at one stage, if you go back, we were winning under 21 leagues. It was, we were the, you know, we were... We were more successful than probably any other club. We were more successful than Rovers, than Pats, than Cork. We were, we were dominating those underage leagues. Now, now we're not. Um, it, it's the right way to go. As I said there, to reiterate the point, it, 
doesn't really matter if they're playing for UCD under 14s or they're playing for Shamrock Rovers under 14s, as long as they're playing in that environment. Because as I said, some of those other clubs have excellent academies. And really, the key is when they come to 17 or 18, that we can provide uh, an option for those players going forward that may not, if they're not in our system, but say they're a Shamrock Rovers or Pats, but they're just not quite good enough to get into those senior teams. Because I suppose an issue with the underage football is because the standard in the League of Ireland has got so high with the Premier Division, we're talking about now practically all professional now, the 10 teams in the top league. You've also got a couple of professional teams now in the first division. A lot of those players coming out of academies, uh, those top teams are looking for the finished article. Do you know what I mean? And they're struggling to provide football where we are still... Even at the top level, we're still developing players. So we would very much see, while clubs like Chamber Rovers, Sligo Rovers, they need the finished article at 19-20. We're quite happy to continue to develop players age 18, 19, 20, 21. And there is plenty of development left in players in those ages. So that's probably, we still have a big pull in that, that where a player, some of the other clubs might not pick up a player straight away and put them on a professional contract. We would be quite happy to take these players in in scholarship. We still think there's development in them and that's been proven i mean a lot of our players i suppose one of our most successful recent players is liam scales who's uh thriving at shamrock rovers he would have when he came into first year he would have shown great improvement in year one year two year three and it was only probably in his final year here that he really established himself as a potentially top player that a club like shamrock rovers might come in and sign so so for players like that we're still a very attractive opposition rather than Rather than go and sign a professional contract at 18, 19, sacrifice your college, you may not then get into the first team, so your development may stop. So it's nearly like a double up. If you come into UCD, your development will continue because we have loads of teams. You don't make it into the first team, you can play for Leinster Senior League team, which plays in the third highest division in the country. It's just below that level. So there's great opportunities for players for players here to continue the development between 18 and 21. Then they can go to Shamrock Rovers, then they can go to Sligo, then they can go to England. But at least when they're going then, they're going to continue playing. Where the dangers of signing professional contracts for 18 and 19 year olds for, for some of the other clubs is, they may just not get in. And then, because players have to play at that age. So we're still, despite all these other academies coming on board, we still have quite an attractive we're still quite an attractive proposition for players. And then there's obviously also the education part of it as well. So not only are they continuing to develop their football, they're getting an education as well, which some of these other players will miss out if they jump into uh, professional contracts. And something I'm very much against. I don't think, I'm not that big of a fan of young players signing professional contracts unless they're, you know, superstars and can get straight into the, straight into, into first teams. Dermot, would you have welcomed the FAI's decision to kind of hand over the development of young players to the League of Ireland clubs, you know, uh, even like logistically and financially putting that kind of burden on a lot of other clubs? Like, yeah. uh, welcome that, like, so a club like UCD to kind of have to develop a 13s, 15s, 17s team? It's, it's, it's a great question. Um, it's a tough one that I suppose there's advantages and disadvantages to it, Dean. The advantages are in that you're obviously getting the best players in the country playing against each other. The, I suppose one of the, one of the problems with schoolboy football was uh, you had good players spread out all around the country. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it, it could have been difficult, particularly if you weren't playing. The DDSL was a very strong league and it was a dominant league, but there was a lot of good schoolboy players from, from the country that may not have potentially played at the level they could have been playing at. So from a from a developing point of view and improving players, it makes complete sense. Whether it was done under the electricity league or whether it was done under a schoolboy section, the downside of it is is the financial burden that's put on to clubs. The downside is did 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 all the clubs, did we all have the facilities and infrastructure to take it on? And the, the answer to that is probably some have, some haven't, some are in the process of getting it. Shamrock Rovers will be a good example of a club who invested heavily in infrastructure to accommodate the academy. Other clubs are st- still struggling to get their first team ground in order, not alone 
bring in infrastructure into academies because it's an expensive process uh, you're you're dealing now you have to have a head of the youth development you have to have uh, licensed coaches at all levels you have to rent out training pitches so it's 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 a difficult one on one side of it yes it's great on the other side of it if it's a difficult one i probably would have maybe kept the schoolboy clubs in the loop particularly up to 15 or 16 i thought the coach were doing quite a good job i i think the likes of home farm cherry orchard Belvedere, Joey's, etc., and some very good country schoolboy clubs were doing a very good job, and I would completely see their point of view where they probably feel that they've been, uh, you know, that obviously they've lost all their best players. So there has been a knock-on effect to schoolboy football. I there is currently um, the schoolboy clubs haven't been forgotten about, and I mean there is ongoing discussions among schoolboy clubs and electricity league clubs to see can we, you know, can we potentially bring some of these schoolboy backs into the elite level. You know, I'd be a big fan of uh, linking up with clubs. Um, now, we have a successful link up with Mount Marion for under 13s and 14s. So that's kept Mount Marion at elite level. The St. Kevin's Bohemians is another good example. It's kept Kevin's in at elite football. Um, Joey's Bray, which, which may not be happening anymore, but that was another example. But... Unfortunately, there's not enough school, not enough electricity league clubs for all those elite schoolboy clubs to link in with. So you'll have the likes of Cherry Orchard that, you know, Pats have a link up with three schoolboy clubs, but is that enough for the schoolboy clubs? So, look, it's been difficult. I would understand where the schoolboy clubs are coming from. I'd have a balanced view on it. Um, but ultimately, it's probably the right way to go. But it's going to take time for all the clubs to get the infrastructures and facilities. And I think it might have been rushed a little bit. Yeah. I suppose you mentioned funds there, Jeremy, and UCD is a very strange model. I might ask you a couple of questions and you can yeah. kind of deal with them all together if you want. But I suppose there will be a perception out there that there's very little in terms of support at game on game night. And I think you probably have more of an alumni network that, that that's fun the club that might necessarily be available to go to games so there is that side of the, of, of the public perception of the club the other side of it is i suppose that you get supports that other clubs don't have access to you talk about facilities ucd have any amount of pitches i i know from being involved in the super league over the years uh there's seven or eight different pitches for training there's you've got facilities provided yeah. to you and the stadium is there for you it's kept up the club don't necessarily have to contribute to that financially so there are financial encouragements that might not be available to most other clubs. On the other side, you've, you've, I know over the last decade or so, probably since that European run back in um, 2014 or 2015, whenever it was, that you actually, you've changed the financial model. You don't bring in professional players or semi-professional players anymore. You're focused primarily on the scholarships, more so even for financial reasons other than anything else. And you run the, the the much tighter ship than maybe you might have done a decade or 15 years ago. Can you talk to us about kind of how, how money affects the, the club on a, on a week-to-week or even on an annual basis? I suppose if you look at the history of the club uh, back in the 2000s and mid to late 90s and a lot of the early 2000s up to uh, just past 2010, we would have had a number. There was a bit of a myth that UCD were a first division club, but actually if you look at our record, we were in the Premier Division for for years i mean we had a great run in it um but for us to survive in the premier division would be very difficult to do with an all-student team so hence we had a mixture of um as you said non-ucd and there was an advantage of that is that we were so we would have had a core of ucd players plus outside players and that would have kept us at the level but that came at a cost and if you go back to the 2000s there was a lot of money in the electricity league at the time you had the likes of bows was spending a lot of money under the roddy collins era you had the ollie burn shells so there was a lot of money spent and to survive in the top league you, it required a lot of money now we were trying to hang in there in in the league we were spending a lot of money and it got to a point where you know we were running up debts and whatever like a lot of the clubs were and a lot of clubs ran into trouble we probably made a decision and you're right it was well it was a mixture it was a decision it was probably a financial decision to go all student but also from an ethos point of view we were coming under pressure from the college and rightly so that we were a university club we were getting all the facilities from the university so really we were under 
we were becoming under pressure to provide football for students. And it was something that personally I wanted to do and I was getting there. So eventually, just before the European run, we, we made, uh, I'd say, a joint decision, both financially and both from an ethos point of view, to go all student. Now, we were worried at the time because we said, you know, would we just fade away into the first division? Would we become a lower first division team? There was always a myth about, well, you know, you, you can't be clever and play football or you're never going to have enough good players uh, to go all students. So um, we, it, it, t- it tied in nicely. We got, we got into Europe in 2015. That was a financial windfall that enabled us. And also we had just got, rele- we got relegated around then. So that took the pressure off us um, um, having to survive in the Premier Division. So it was the best move we ever made. I think we're now six, five, six, seven years all student. Uh, we've won one promotion doing that. We've competed at the top of the first division. I think realistically, with the, the Premier Division being professional now, we know that those days of us being in the Premier Division for five, six, seven years are gone. But we're quite happy to, uh, we know where we are. We're going to, we're more likely to be in the first division. I suppose our measures of success is, is building up teams every three, four years that can challenge for promotion and then moving those players on. An example would have been the likes of Liam Scales, Neil Ferrugia, Gary O'Neill. They would have been Greg Slogger. They would have been four or five players from that very successful team that, that competed in Europe and, the, and that got promoted that have gone on to play professional football. And we're in the process now. We're obviously second in the first division at the moment. We probably have three. We have Colin we, Colly Whelan, who just got... Um, uh, got called up to the under-21s there in that pre-season tournament in Spain. So there's probably another three or four players, and that's our gauge of success. The other thing about the financial model, most of our activities, we don't get the crowd income, we don't get the merchandise income, we don't get the big streaming income or TV income, but we're in the fundraising business, and an awful lot of our activities double up. So things like running summer camps, running Super Leagues, running the Dunleary Ratdown uh project in the community these are all activities that help raise funds for ourselves so it's very much a double up where we're we're not a commercial club we're not a profit making club so it's a uh it's a case we do run a very tight ship um we could be critical that we don't get enough support from the college on the other hand if we didn't have the college support and particularly with the likes of facilities we wouldn't be able to function so i think we've managed to survive uh, going all student, we've got the model in place now and it has worked for now five or six years where we've been reasonably successful on the pitch. But more importantly, we're probably developing more players now than we ever have. Because obviously when we had the professionals playing in the team, that was stopping young players from getting through. Now the opportunities at UCD to get into the first team and actually push on to play professional football is as good as it's ever been. And there's and it's not just coming through elite. We 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 have freshest trials every year, Breffney, you know about that, where we've a hundred players coming in. And there's always players you pick up that may not have had fantastic football and CVs. They we've got six players currently in the first team squad that came through freshest trials. Uh, players that didn't know underage internationals um, they weren't playing with great schoolboy clubs some of them were for different parts of the country and they're they're some of our we have some of them in pro contracts already so so the pathway is as good as it's ever been uh, for, for young players so that there has been a big advantage of going all student we just probably have to sacrifice the fact that we won't be playing Dundalk, Shamrock Rovers, Sligo Rovers and Pats every week uh, for a lot of the seasons but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't stop us from from big clubs um, being interested in our players, whether we're playing first division or Premier Division. Yeah, I just want to touch on uh, you've obviously touched on the first team there. So I just wanted to ask you: Is there um, like footballing expectations put on Andy and the players, like in terms of do you say to them start the year, look, it needs to be playoffs, or is it more just a you know development like you said a cycle of three to four years with the players and and see where that takes you we have to be realistic it's a combination of both so we would sit down at the start of every season and look at the players we have look what age profile they are look at the experience so we our last team there uh, kind of came to an end the gary o'neill team obviously reached its peak uh, got promoted struggled in the first division but uh, struggled in the premier division but already dean when we had um 
when we got promotion to first division, we lost Liam Scales, Gary O'Neill, and Neil Farouja halfway through that Premier Division. So already we found ourselves in the Premier Division with a weaker team than we had the, the, the year before. So we have to be realistic with the goals. As long as we're competing, a lot will depend on the level the division is at. We can't control. If you look at Shelburne now, full-time, well, pretty much full-time, have invested heavily. We're never going to be able to compete with them. So for us to set a goal at the start of the season, lads, we have to win the first division, is not realistic. Yeah. We just have to be the best we can be. And the level of the division will dictate that. So at the moment, we're second in the league. We would have a very good chance at the playoffs. If we do get to the playoffs, I'd say we'd have an outside chance. It wouldn't be unreasonable to think that we could probably could possibly win the playoffs. But that's the realistic goals at the start of the season. We have to realistically, whether we're in the Premier Division, First Division, winning matches, losing matches, the overall bigger picture has to be player development. Because as I said to you at the first point, the age group of players we have is still in the development age. So we can't put expectations on players that are still improving. You have to get to the playoffs. You have to uh, win the first division. We have to be patient with our players. Uh, and I suppose the, 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 the success for us is, is, is player development and moving players on. And that, that sound, now, having said that, we still want to win, first, we still want to win matches. Yeah. We still, big pressure for us is probably winning college competitions. The CUFL, the Collingwood Cup, the Harding Cup, they're probably the competitions that we're under pressure to win. Yeah. We're probably under pressure just to compete at first division without necessarily win it. And it's a mixed bag if you're a UCD football manager, because on one hand, the managers want to win matches. Uh, so, but on the other hand, the pressure's off a little bit that we're more judging our first team staff. Is the setup very good? Is the training very good? Are the players developing? And you can't always merge both. Sometimes it's hard to develop players and then put your emphasis on winning matches. Because if that yeah. was the case, you'd be, you know, you'd be bringing in extra players, you'd be playing the same players every week, and you'd be neglecting other players. So, it's an interesting managing UCD first team doesn't suit every kind of manager. We've had managers yeah. that come in, and it just doesn't suit them. Others, it does. And I have to say, Andy, since he's come in, he he works in the college. He's an ex UCD player. He understands the club. So, it's very important for us that we have that type of manager that can understand the advantages and disadvantages because it can be very frustrating at times, but then the advantages are there's no big pressure. You haven't got owners investing massive money, putting huge pressure on you to win football matches, which you see in a lot of the other clubs. So it's 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 a nice environment to manage the team, but yeah. it would suit every manager. Yeah, in terms, I suppose, Jerry, I know we're keeping you a long time this morning. You've got supervising there to do, but um, there's been a lot of players. You mentioned a couple more recent ones, the likes of Ferruja, Gary O'Neill, uh, Liam Scales and others. But over your time in the college, there's been uh, an absolute conveyor belt of talent coming through there. You can add Robbie Benson, Conan Byrne to that list um, and, and plenty of others. I think who would who'd be your favourites over, over the years? Yeah, God, that's a, that's a cool question. Um but I tell you, I think it was a great reflection. I think the cup final last year between Dundalk and Rovers, I don't remember the exact number, but it was nearly double figures, the number of ex-UCD players that were involved. There was Robbie Benson, there was uh, Georgie Kelly. Uh, there was, I think, five on the Dundalk, four on the Rovers team. There was obviously Gary O'Neill, Neil Ferruja. So that was a great reflection. I mean, currently you look at Pats, uh, there, there's Robbie Benson, who's... Uh, Robbie Benson has been one of the most successful players with his run in Dundalk. And uh, obviously, he's gone on to Pats now, who are challenging um, for the league. Greg Bulger has had a successful career at Cork City. Shamrock Rovers now is part of that Sligo team that's um, uh, that's been uh, competing. So, yeah, there's been plenty of good players. I'd, I'd like to... It would be nice to do an all-time uh, great 11 of players that have gone on and had success. Uh, the two Macmillans, Evan Macmillan, a great centre half. He has one of them. He has numerous European uh, appearances, uh, which people don't realise. He played. He Evan obviously went to Pats. Played with Sligo Rovers. I think nearly every club he went to, he ended up playing in Europe. Dave McMillan's had great success. Uh, Dylan Watts, obviously, I think one of the one of the most successful um, moves from any player was Dylan Watts. Just on the tail end of playing in the Europa League, moved to Leicester, who had just won the Premier League. And now, obviously, Dylan ended up, didn't make it into the first team, but is now a very successful player and a very successful Shamrock Rovers team. So, 
you mentioned Conan Byrne. You could go right back years ago. You could go back to Joe Hanron <laughs> when I started off as a, uh, as a, when I was a fan of UCD as a schoolboy. Joe Hanron moved to Man United. Uh, Alex Ferguson had just taken over. You had Ken O'Darity who moved to a very successful Crystal Palace team. Steve Copper was the manager there uh, at the time. So, uh, Clive Delaney, you could go on and on. Uh, but out of the current bunch, uh, I think Gary O'Neill has been one of our best players uh, that, that have come through. And Robbie Benson, they're probably the two, mo- and Liam Scales, they're probably the three most recent ones that yeah. uh, have gone on Um and I've been very, very successful. I know there's a lot of interest in Liam Scales um, abroad at the moment. Uh, I was just talking about Devlin the other day, who, who 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 has a good handle and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of interest in Liam. So he could become the latest player to go over to England and actually make it over there. So he could he could add to our list of Joe Hanrans and Ken O'Darys and these players. Uh, Tony McCarthy as well. Uh, Gary Dicker. Well... Yeah, so there's, there's there's plenty of of, of good players that, that have that have gone over, and we're always waiting for the next one. Georgie Kelly as well, um, a serious player. Georgie, obviously, when he moved to Dundalk, went to a team that was having a lot of success and didn't get the playing time. But it's great to see him at Bowes now. I wouldn't rule Georgie going over to England as well. So uh, there's some names there, isn't there? When you when you when when you hard to pick a favourite, uh, hard to pick a favourite. Probably wasn't fair to ask, to be fair. Um, that, that's it for me, Dean. Oh, you want to more? No, that's everything uh, for me. Listen, Jeremy, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, uh, the best luck at the weekend. I know you have a, a big clash, top of the table clash there with Galway. Yeah, and, Galway, uh, Galway are coming good. Uh, they were slow starters, but uh, they're some very good players. And they have a great manager, John Caulfield. Uh, I have a lot of respect for John. Great job at Cork City. People probably underestimate the job he did at Cork City. They were the only club that, mat- that were able to match Dundalk. And... Uh, some great uh, great title races under those four or five years there when the Dock were getting into Europa League Cork were winning Cups they won a league John played a big part in that Jeremy it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much for joining us and uh, the best luck against Galway at the weekend thanks Jeremy phenomenal work going on in Belfield I think we, so many players through the league Dean you've played with and against some of them and you can nearly always tell a player who's been through UCD over the years yeah, exactly. They have a, a very distinct kind of development style, uh, usually good technical players, um, very good fitness-wise. They work on, you know, their strength and conditioning, their physical fitness as well. Anytime you play against them, they're always going uh, 90 minutes, you know, lots of energy. Um, but yeah, like you said, there is a, a kind of noticeable, that's a UCD player, and they've contributed so much to the league in terms of the development of, you know, future star players in the league. And you know, we can go back over league winners and trace several of them and several squads that have won the league to, you know, four or five lads that have played at UCD somewhere along the line. So uh, you have to give a huge amount of credit to that programme and to, you know, the coaches, the managers, uh, people like Dermot that have been involved for years there. Absolutely. Anyway, take a look. Uh, we might start with first division for the fixtures this weekend and UCD themselves, uh, they host Galway United, informal Galway United. That's a second in the table clash so we'll interesting to see how that goes there i'll run through the fixtures you maybe might pick out ones that uh, you will think are of interest you see galway uh shelburne versus cabin tealy bray wanders versus cove cork city host treaty in a monster derby while wexford host athlone down in ferry carry park all those games friday night um anything immediately jump out at you there yeah well the one you mentioned it's obviously ucd galway we've seen a, an uptick in form from galway We've seen UCD probably being the best or the second best team to Shelburne so far, um, but just have slipped off a little bit. So, you know, good chance for them to kind of recapture and reconsolidate that second position. And I'm interested to see Shells and Cabin because Cabin have this weird way of just upsetting the kind of bigger teams in the league. And I think they've beaten Shells a couple of times when they were previously in the first division. So, I might just keep my eye on that one because uh, you just don't write off uh, Pat Devlin teams because. You know, you see Shells, as we mentioned earlier in the show, haven't been beaten. You know, you wouldn't be surprised at all if you or if uh, Cabin Dealey could be the, the one to do that this weekend. Um, not saying it will happen because Shells are in great form, but just to keep an eye on it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tend to agree with you. I think Cabin Dealey have been hot and cold. Some weeks they're on fire, some weeks they're absolutely off the pace. So we have to see what version of Cabin Dealey shows up in Top Park uh, this weekend. 
Uh, in terms of uh, the league title, of course, Shells, 11 points clear at the top of that particular table at the moment. And now, first, Premier Division, you're out in action. You are uh, hosting Sligo Rovers. It's the N4 derby. They're on fire at the moment. Are you hoping maybe that they're still celebrating last weekend and you can catch them cold? You were very lucky the last time you faced them. I think it was Gary Buckley header from a, a corner that maybe just didn't deal with efficiently, but you probably deserved a point out of that game. Yeah, I think um, when we played them at home, like you said, we, we deserved a, a point out of the game and just a scrappy goal cost us in the end. But, you know, as I said earlier in the show, in relation to Waterford and some of the other teams, like we feel we can beat everyone on the day if we do our job right and work hard and, you know, are organised and disciplined and, you know, don't make errors. So we've got to go into the game with that approach. Uh, Sligo in great form, obviously can't take them lightly or, or we'll be punished. But, um, you know, I think... If we do our job, we can get something from the game. And that's the most important thing for us at this moment in time is just trying to keep building and, and putting some points on the board. So that's what we'll endeavour to do on Saturday. Yeah, of course. The other game's all been played on Friday night. Your game Saturday. Friday night, draw United, Finn Harps. Derry City uh, host Waterford. That's a fair old trek for Mark Bertram's men, the whole way to the Brandywell. Uh, Bowes and Pats in a Dublin derby in Dalymount and Shamrock Rovers host Dundalk. That fixture would have been... I suppose one of the big diary events in the calendar over the last couple of years, a little bit less gloss on it now, or has Vinny's return and their little return to a little bit of form kind of maybe brought that little back, a bit of interest back into that fixture? Yeah, I think uh, just with the nature of the league and 10-team league, it throws up these good contests quite regularly, or at least one or two of them every week. And uh, I think that will be a good game, you know. I think um, we can't dismiss it. Uh, we've talked about the three at the top and that's the fact that they're not all firing on all cylinders. We've had a little bit of a bounce from the talk with Phoenix. So I think that will be a good game. Definitely one to keep an eye on. And uh, I think Pats and Bowers are very similar. Again, we've talked about the three teams at the top maybe not being ultra consistent. We've talked about Bowers being up and down. You know, they, they, they beat Rovers a couple of weeks ago. Then they dropped 4-0 to Sligo. So we could see a surge again from Bowers this weekend and a, and a resurgence against that Pats team. So there are definitely two games I'd pick out um, coming this coming weekend that will have a lot of interest in them, you know. So um, both good games, but like I said, every week seems to throw up at least one or two. Yeah, really exciting times ahead. Of course, all those games are available on loitv.ie, so you can catch up on any game you want. Nine games Friday night, and that one game, of course, your own fixture, Longford versus Sligo on Saturday evening in the league. Thank you very much to our guest, German McNally of UCD, for joining us and giving us such a fantastic insight into all the things that happen within that famous club. And uh, Dean, as always, a pleasure. I hope you're not going to be too busy now uh, tasting cakes and checking out wedding venues for the next couple of weeks. I know I can see by your face you're absolutely thrilled for all of that planning. Uh, I don't think that's my part, isn't it, Matt? Like, I think... Uh... Not to say that out loud. You can think Absolutely. it, you can't say that out loud. Yeah. I thought I'd done my part already, so. <laughs> oh, ever uh, pass the book. I like it, Dean. Listen, congratulations to yourself and Stephanie. Uh, the best of luck with the wedding plan. And I, I know it's a, it's probably a long way away yet, but uh, unless you're having a quickie little one to get in before the COVID restrictions, so you don't have to invite the family. I know that's a tactic employed by lots of people as well. So whatever your plans are, the very best of luck to you both. And uh, hopefully, again, we you'll celebrate with a couple of points uh, on Saturday night against Sligo Rovers, potentially. Uh, Dean, thanks so many for joining us. We'll chat to you again two weeks time. Thanks for having me again.